0: Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport, Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show we look at the good news for African football that Morocco will be co-hosting the 2030 World Cup – also, we get the latest on the inaugural edition of the African Football League, which is just two weeks away. And we talk to Nigeria defender Ala Aina, who's back in the English Premier League, having joined Nottingham Forest. Aina tells us all about the win earlier this season over Chelsea, who he was a youth player with. It's the
1: profession, you know, you have to, you have to be professional and ultimately was there to do a job and
0: that's what we did. So I'm, I'm happy about that. That's coming later. Also, we have Stewart's analysis on the Liverpool VAR controversy in their game last weekend against Tottenham. So the FIFA World Cup will be coming to Africa for a second time. Morocco will co-host the 2030 World Cup, which will be held across six countries on three continents. FIFA have confirmed Spain, Portugal and Morocco as the co-hosts, with the opening three matches taking place in Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay. Uh, The opening games in South America are to mark the World Cup's centenary, as it will be a 100 years since the inaugural tournament in Uruguay. Uh, The decision is to be ratified at a FIFA Congress next year. Uh, So South Africa hosted in 2010, it's Morocco co-hosting in 2030, and either it's something that Morocco have really worked towards and their dream has been achieved.
2: Indeed, it has, Steve, and absolutely no one is surprised. (laughs) But I believe it shows just what seriousness, proactivity, and commitment to a plan can do. And even more than good resources, which is what many would add, I'm sure – But Steve, I would also say that it takes proper use of those resources. Because despite the continent's past, many African countries are rich. But those resources fund corruption. So it takes real commitment, you know, and follow through to achieve something like this. Morocco said that they would and they did. From women's football, you saw what the men did in Qatar as well to hosting all sorts of tournaments, including the upcoming 2025 Afghan and now the 2030 World Cup. And I believe it also speaks volumes about persistence. Steve Morocco had five unsuccessful bids to host the World Cup before bagging this through a co-host venture. They bid in 1994, 98, 2006, the 2010 that went to South Africa, And then 2026. So this is huge and a very, very well done to the country. And Steve, it will be a historic World Cup taking place in six countries, as you've said, and across three continents. A transatlantic World Cup, (laughs) if you will. And FIFA is pushing it as one that will unite the world. But other parties have called out, you know, seemingly the, the ludicrousness of six teams, namely Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, and their three opponents, to play their opening matches in South America, and then travel to Morocco, Spain, and Portugal for the remainder of the tournament. Steve, a direct flight from Buenos Aires to Madrid, for example, is at least 13 hours long. And with a global mindset currently, very much one of climate change and carbon emissions, well, Steve, this really isn't playing to FIFA's advantage. It does seem more a decision to try and appease all parties involved as opposed to really take a stand that, you know, might anger some. So, Steve, you mentioned the relevance of having it in Uruguay since it will be 100 years since the country hosted and won the first ever World Cup. Argentina's relevance in this is that they were the losing finalists in that World Cup. And what about Paraguay? Well, the South American Football Confederation, or CONMEBOL, their headquarters are based in Paraguay. And this was actually the only confederation in existence at the time of the 1930 tournament. So this collective bid was quite symbolic as well. Though, Steve, it has been argued that the bid was simply ceremonial and theoretical, and that all parties knew that Conmebol was never in a situation to host the 2030 tournament. Sure enough, it was a romantic idea for the World Cup to return to Uruguay 100 years later, but it's said on the ground that infrastructure was never going to allow it. And so their bid was done to give way for this move. Steve, elsewhere, Saudi Arabia did announce its intention to bid for the 2034 edition. And with member federations only from Asia and Oceania eligible to bid, basically because all other continents have taken up the preceding World Cups, well, the kingdom actually does stand a real, real chance. So (laughs) more football politics, and it's simply all very fascinating.
0: Yes, uh, fascinating indeed, the world of football politics. Uh, Saudi Arabia looking likely to host 2034, and uh, the 2030 hosting, by the way, decided without a vote having been necessary. Well, stay with us, uh, Ida. next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, just two weeks to the start of the inaugural edition of the African Football League. And there have been so many questions about how it'll work, and there's been criticism over the purpose of the competition too. Well, the controversy has continued as South African club Mamelodi Sundown's participation is in some doubt after South Africa's Premier Soccer League said that they can't change their fixtures to accommodate the African Football League games as there's no space on their calendar. Well, the South Africa Football Association issued a statement in support of CAF and the African Football League, uh, so we'll see what happens there. It would be very embarrassing if Sundowns didn't take part. Uh, they're founded by the CAF president, Patrice Motsepe. Uh, also with the prize money having been announced, there's still no clarity as to where the funds will come from. So we'll keep following this as the African Football League is two weeks away, kicking off with the quarter-final matches. We're well now to our interview with Nigeria defender Ola Aina, who's back in the English Premier League, having joined Nottingham Forest from Italian club Torino. Aina is a Chelsea youth product. He had a loan spell to Fulham three seasons ago, and a Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashin Okaleji spoke to Aina.
1: It feels good. I've, I've done my four or five years in Italy. It was a good experience for me um, as a person, as a player. But um, it's good to be back in England now, and hopefully establish myself in the in the Premier League.
3: Nottingham Forest. You had other options. Why Why Nottingham Forest?
1: I just felt that like they pushed for me a bit more than maybe a few of the other interests that I had, which is also is is a good feeling to have. So I was just ready to to be back in the Premier, also
3: when we look across your team it's like an african union <laughs> and um you could easily um have a Afro beat group <laughs> with nigerians and all the Ivorian boys and all of that what does it feel like to have that african flair in your team
1: yeah it's, it's good you know it's always good to have your batch you know mm-hmm. in your in in your in your squad in your team and um in in not in the forest is that's exactly what it is and it's it's really nice, it brings a diverse feeling to the changing room and to the club, so it's nice.
3: There are fears that if you guys decide to all go for
1: the Afghan, it could be trouble for for Forrest. What's going on in your own head? I know there may be be a few complications, but not every African team can make it to the (laughs) final, so hopefully it's not too bad, but I also think um, if we put ourselves in good stead before January you know, with picking up points with the games that we have until January, then uh, uh, hopefully it, sh- it should be okay. Are you
3: surprised by how the team has played? I mean, you've you've gone everywhere without fears and all that. You went to the St- Stamford Bridge, a place you know very well. Mm-hmm. What's so special about Nottingham Forest? What's the secret?
1: Um, I don't think anyone's scared at all, you know. To be honest, the club have shown and proven that they can stay in the Premier League obviously after last season. So it's just a belief that you're a Premier League team. You're able to play in the Premier League. So it's 11 v 11. We're all men, you know. We all kick the ball. So it's just about taking each game as it comes and, you know, trying our best to get the result.
3: What was it like for you to play at the bridge again?
1: Yeah, it was, it was good. I like to, I like to play at the bridge, obviously, because I spent so many years there. Um, but it was good. I saw so many old and familiar faces. Um, but it was, it was nice. I like it. Some
3: Chelsea fans, any words? Mm-hmm. or some
1: teammates with words? Did you, what, what was it like? Tell us. It's just, was it strange to be wearing red against blue? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit strange. You know, the last time I played there, I was, I was with Fulham but there was no one in the stadium because of COVID and, and whatnot. But it was yeah, it was a bit strange, you know, celebrating and stuff, but it was it's, it's just it's the profession, you know, you have to you have to be professional and ultimately we was there to do a job and that's what we did. So I'm I'm happy about that. For Nigeria
3: you guys secured qualification early on. Um what's the mentality like going into the mood for the half con and all of that? What do you guys need to do before you go into that tournament?
1: For for me and I know for sure for the for the boys we we need to we need to do something substantial in that in that AFCON. I feel like it's the right time, I feel like it's the right setup, you know. And yeah, it's just it's just the right time. I have that feeling, you know. Also I had it's the same feeling I had in two thousand nineteen but we were just just unlucky that's how football is, but I still have that feeling inside of me that the the set of boys that we have now in the super Eagles we we can actually do something. Um, special and we, we need to.
3: Finally, um you're someone who actually believes so much in God, you always put God first and all that. Mm-hmm. As a as an athlete, what role does God play in your in your career?
1: For for me God is everything, you know, because first and foremost the gifts that I'm able to show week in, week out for the super equals so for my club is it's not my it's not mine, you know. It's a gift from God and Myself, I have to have to always honour that, you know, and respect that it's not by my might, you know, it's it's all God. So it's God first in everything for me, and I always try to remember that because ultimately, without Him, I'm nothing, you know. And that's that's always at the front front of my head, you know. It's it's God, it's God first, it's God first, and it gets you over the line, it gets you over. upsets it gets you
0: it just helps you with everything and that's that's my main focus with everything well, that is Nigeria and Nottingham Forest defender Ola Aina talking about his football and his Christian faith speaking there to a planet sport football Africa's Ola Ashina uh, Quite something there with a uh, forest a few weeks ago, uh, shocking uh, Chelsea, the club uh, which uh, Ola Aina grew up with, but uh, saying there that he had a job to do and uh, they did it, uh, beating Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Well, Ida, a good career so far for Aina at club and national team level. Uh, Maybe you think uh, there's more to come for him.
2: Well, it certainly looks like it, Steve. I mean, Aina just took home the club's Player of the Month award, this being for his performances in September. And the award is voted for by the club fans. And he got more than 40 percent, you know, clearly showing their belief in him. And he has been praised for his versatility on the flanks, you know, being able to play on both sides of defense. And, Steve, he's even drawn some comparisons to another versatile player, former Man United fullback Dennis Irwin, who was dependable as well, you know. And, you know, it goes to show you that sometimes in life you don't really need flashy. You just need good old solid reliability, you know. But Steve Einer signed in July for one year on a free transfer, and he was actually the club's first summer signing. And he has talked about it being relatively easy to settle at Nottingham. For starters, he was born and grew up in England, so there wasn't any big cultural shift per se, you know, to get used to after getting back from Torino. And he had people he knew already at the club, you know, so that camaraderie, that rapport, it was already there to build on. Plus, as you've heard there, you know, with a big African contingent, well, it must surely add to just making things that much more comfortable. I mean, Aina succeeds countryman Taiwo Awoni, who won the club's Player of the Month award in August, you know. So it does show you that the Africans are rightfully taking up their space. And Steve, for a team that spent the last two decades plus in the lower leagues, Nottingham really isn't doing too badly. You know, first of all, they survived their first season back. There's that. And then now they're holding their own in the new season, though, you know, it's still early days, but it's really, really good on them. Aina went through the Chelsea Academy. He made his professional debut in 2016. He then left in 2019 for Italy, but made a return to England on a lone move with Fulham in 2020. Now, he made over 30 appearances for the club, and he even won the Premier League Goal of the Month award, and he was nominated for the goal of the season following an incredible strike against West Bromwich Albion. Aina switched his nationality to Nigeria in 2017. Now, he has been able to play at the Afghan. And Steve, who knows, maybe with England, he might never have got the chance to play the European equivalent. And it was actually because of playing at the Afghan that he lost his spot at Torino because by the time he got back, well, his position was taken, you know, but that's just the risk that one runs with some of these things, isn't it? He'd turned out for the three Lions pretty much from the under-16s through to the under-20s. But now he does have 30 caps for the Super Eagles, though he will not be adding the next immediate two, having been ruled out of Nigeria's upcoming friendlies against Saudi Arabia and
0: Mozambique with injury. We hope he'll be back in action very soon. Uh, Thanks, Aida, and uh, Ala Aina Uh, certainly is a really great player to watch. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Uh, still to come, a steward on the VAR controversy in the English Premier League last weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Now let's go to social media. Last week we asked, what do you think about the 2025 and 2027 Africa Cup of Nations hosts? Morocco were named as hosts of the 2025 AFCON last week, winning that race unopposed after Algeria pulled out. And a joint East African bid from Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania will host in 2027, bringing the tournament back to the region for the first time since 1976. Uh, so we asked, what do you think about these hosts? We start with 2025, and it was a resounding yes from everyone who got in touch. Uh, Sudeco Suno in The Gambia says Morocco will be the best host for 2025. Uh, Belong Baji says they've got the facilities, they'll be the best hosts. And in Morocco, Aminu Yahuza Faghi says it's a great choice indeed. Uh, the only thing left is to start organizing it up to world-class standards. And just briefly on the 2027 co-hosting with Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania, we heard from Emi Arina Itwe Muanguzi saying, I'm really proud as an East African from Uganda and looking forward to this prestigious tournament to come 2027, says Emi. I must say there's been quite a bit of criticism about uh, that East African bid being successful and doubts over what uh, kind of a show will be put on. We'll certainly be uh, following this one uh, all the way up to 2027 here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, let's talk English Premier League now and uh, Stuart's back from a break. Uh, Welcome back, Stuart, and uh, you return with uh, the video assistant referee controversy having dominated the uh, headlines for days.
4: VAR is simply in crisis, Steve. There's no other way to put it. We're used to VAR creating frustrations, but the Tottenham-Liverpool game last weekend was decided by a horrendous error by VAR. Diaz scored to give Liverpool the lead. The assistant referee put his flag up. To the naked eye, it looked onside. VAR reviewed it, but didn't overturn the decision. It then emerged that two of the officials in VAR had been refereeing in the United Arab Emirates just 48 hours before, and questions were therefore asked about their preparation for the game. An hour after the game had finished, the Professional Game Match Officials Board issued the following statement. We acknowledge a significant human error occurred during the first half of Tottenham Liverpool. The goal by Luis Diaz, was disallowed for offside by the on-field team of match officials. This was a clear and obvious factual error and should have resulted in the goal being awarded through VAR intervention. However, VAR failed to intervene. We will conduct a full review of the circumstances that led to the error. Now, it has subsequently emerged, incredibly, Steve, that the VAR officials thought a goal had been awarded and therefore they didn't need to intervene. And the two VAR officials, who were due to officiate at two games in the next few days, have been stood down from both of them. The official terminology is standing them down. To compound the disaster, Liverpool had two players sent off, one with VAR intervention... And both were, at best, debatable decisions. (laughs) You can imagine the frustration of Jürgen Klopp at seeing his team taking the lead before the goal was wrongly disallowed, then having two players perhaps wrongly sent off, only for Tottenham to win the game with a known goal in the sixth minute of stoppage time. And Klopp has actually called for the game to be replayed, but I can't see that happened. But there really has been an outcry for action to be taken to stop this ever happening again. Some people have called simply for VAR to be scrapped, but the problem is not the technology, but with the humans. And four significant and arguably sensible suggestions have been made. The first one is to allow VAR to intervene to correct mistakes, even after the game has restarted, because the current protocol prevented VAR from correcting the mistake because they had already given the referee the all-clear, told him that the cheque was complete and the game had restarted. So that change would help that. The process should be made more open. Now, audio of the conversation between the officials in the Liverpool-Tottenham game has been released, but there's been a call for this to happen every time. And in fact, in rugby and cricket, fans see the pictures and reviews at exactly the same time that the TV referee umpires do. And if you're watching at home, you actually hear the conversations in real time. There's also been a call to replace the current procedures for offside with a semi-automatic system, which seemed to work quite well during the Qatar World Cup. And then another interesting suggestion is that currently VAR officials are Premier League referees, sometimes assigned to VAR. And it's argued that they should have specialist-trained officials who only do VAR so that they become more familiar with the technology and develop expertise in it. But something has to be done, Steve.
0: Well, huge controversy and uh, we're asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Uh, Do you think that uh, Tottenham-Liverpool game should be replayed? Uh, As Stuart said there, uh, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp has asked for a replay because of the magnitude uh, of the error, which uh, stems uh, from uh, human error there, which saw that Luis Diaz genuine goal ruled out. So, do you think that the game should be replayed? Um, You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Do you think that game should be replayed? Well, let's uh, focus on uh, this weekend's action. Arsenal Manchester City, the big game, Stuart and uh, Man City losing their 100% record. Yes. Wolves beat Manchester City uh, last weekend
4: and with Tottenham beating Liverpool, albeit in those controversial circumstances, City now have a lead of just one point at the top of the table, so the game with this coming weekend will be really interesting and significant. Aston Villa and Brighton are fifth and sixth equal, but last weekend Villa beat Brighton 6-1. And I was really impressed with the Brighton manager Zerbi's honest comments after the game, saying that the club was adjusting to the loss of key players and simply didn't have a strong enough squad to be competitive in three games in eight days. At the bottom of the table, Sheffield United and Bournemouth are still without a win. Luton Town secured their first win as a Premier League club away to Everton, but then lost at home to Burnley, which was Burnley's first win of the season. But, oh dear, Manchester United's problems continue. Their defeat at home to Crystal Palace in the league was their fourth defeat in seven league games, leaving them tenth. And to compound that, in the Champions League, they lost at home to Galatasaray from Turkey. United took the lead but finished up losing 3-2 at home with Wilfred Zaha, the Ivorian and former United player, scoring the first goal. Now, that's two Champions League games played, two defeats. And you'll recall the opening game was at Bayern Munich, where they did really well to score three goals away, but unfortunately conceded four. I mean, there have been injuries to key players. Some of their top stars are not contributing much. But their new and expensive goalkeeper, André Onana from Cameroon, has really not settled well in the Premier League. And in the Galatasaray game, he passed the ball straight to an opponent, which resulted in a penalty. And I think he should have done better with the crucial goal. One positive from our perspective in the Manchester United situation is that the 20-year-old Tunisian Hannibal Mesbury uh, has made four appearances in the first team of the season, including that starting the Champions League game and playing 90 minutes uh, in the league game against Burnley. It's only October, but it does look as if it's going to be a long, hard season for Manchester United, Steve, I was in France last week and I bought a copy of the French sports newspaper Le Quay, And I was amazed to see a large feature on Harry Maguire, which included the line, Harry Maguire is a professional footballer, but everyone in England would like him to change career. And the article went on to talk about how he's booed and jeered when he plays for England, how Manchester United are struggling but he still can't get in the team, The article even mentioned how his mother had taken to social media to ask fans to get off his back. I was just amazed that that was a big story in France. Just going back to the Premier League, two Africans will want to forget last weekend... Nottingham Forest's Musa Nikati was shown two yellow cards in his club's 1-1 draw with Brentford, and poor old Joel Matip tried to cut out a cross in the 96th minute of that infamous Tottenham-Liverpool game, only managing to divert it into his own goal.
0: Yeah, under such extreme pressure, uh, Matip cracking uh, right at the end of the game there. That was uh, so unfortunate, yeah. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart?
4: Well, Steve, we complain about the amount of stoppage time in Premier League games, but one club that won't be complaining is Tottenham, who have already, in their first nine games, scored in the 6th, 8th and 10th minutes of stoppage time. And now I've got some really surprising news from Watford. They've only won one of their last eight games in the Championship, leaving them 20th out of 24, and the club has given their head coach, Valerian Ishmael, an extended contract. I mean, what's gone wrong? Watford used to fire the manager for any reason. Mason Greenwood, who is on loan to Hatafi in Spain from Manchester United, has made four appearances for the club, playing one full game and coming on as the sub three times. But Greenwood is still looking for his first goal. And finally, Steve Portsmouth, are currently top of League One. That's the third tier of English football. And there are seven other clubs in that division who have played in the Premier League. It just shows that when you lose your place in the Premier League, you're just as likely to go further down than to go back up. And we mentioned at the end of last season how Sheffield Wednesday, at one stage one of England's top clubs, had been promoted from League One to the Championship. Well, they've started with two draws and seven defeats and have already fired the manager, again underlining how hard it is to get promoted and hold your own at the higher level.
0: Yeah, indeed, absolutely. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. So the big game in the English Premier League this weekend, Arsenal-Man City, uh, that's on Sunday. Uh, Other fixtures, Tottenham playing away to Luton on Saturday, Chelsea away to Burnley, Manchester United, something of a must-win, you'd think, at home to Brentford, and Liverpool playing away to Brighton on Sunday. Well that's it for the show for this week, so from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks very much for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.